0: Welcome to another episode of The Chef Educator, the show that provides and discusses various teaching tools, tips, and techniques for the culinary, hospitality, and pastry arts educator. And now, coming to you through the airways from Palm Beach County, Florida, here is your host, doctor, professor, and chef, Mr. Colin Roche. Hello, everyone, and good day. Welcome to episode two of The Chef Educator. This episode is titled The Syllabus and Its Construction. My name is Dr. Colin Roach and I am your host. Now before we start in on today's topic, I want to give our new listeners a little background information on the podcast. The Chef Educator podcast was created as a comprehensive resource for both new and seasoned culinary hospitality baking, pastry art, teachers, instructors, and faculty in both the secondary and post-secondary educational institutions. The hope is to offer a collection of practical and effective teaching tools, tips, and techniques that can be used in the culinary classroom or lab. Okay, with that said, let's jump right into today's topic on the syllabus and its construction. Now many say that your syllabus might be the most important document you create for your class because when it is done well it communicates a variety of important information about your overall course including activities expectations even your teaching philosophy and or style and it's it's also a course planning tool because it helps us the faculty prepare and organize our course. And by taking the time to construct a detailed syllabus, it helps us define our course goals, plan the course structure and the assignments and the exams and review sessions, as well as other activities. And it determines how much time we should devote to a particular topic. Now, our course syllabus also... In addition, communicates to our students a description of the course, including the topics that will be covered, the assignments that will be given, and even the assessments that will be used that the students will be responsible for. So basically, it's a a clear source for policies and expectations. I once heard the syllabus described as a general snapshot of a teacher's vision of the educational experiences that they wish to share with their students. Through the activities in a course. That's pretty cool. I like that vision part. Because does not necessarily going to come through. It's just what we think is going to happen. What we hope is going to happen. And then, as you'll see in a future podcast, we talk about lesson plans. You know, sometimes it doesn't come true. And we have to make, you know, changes mid-stride. But, you know, at least it's our vision or our plan up front. So, what are the key functions or, or the components of a syllabus? Well, it has several functions. The first function is to invite students to our courses by informing them of the objectives of the course and by providing a sense of what the course will be like. The syllabus introduces me, you, us, the instructor, to the students, as well as introduces the subject, the course goals, the expectations. Basically, it's like a little mini orientation to the course. Think of the syllabus as a prospectus that answers the big question on the minds of many students on that first day of class. That is, why should I take this course? We want, as instructors, our syllabus to communicate to students a clear idea of what the course content is, our approach to teaching the course and the material, and what the student can expect to do and to learn if they complete the course requirements. And our syllabus should also stimulate interest in the course topic by indicating why the topic is important or intriguing. Now, the second function is to document expectations for assignments and grade allocation. The syllabus is, to some degree, a type of contract between the instructor and the student in that it sets out course requirements and policies regarding grading, uh, academic integrity, student conduct, attendance, late work, all kinds of other issues all laid out in there. And it is for this reason that students are responsible for reading and understanding the syllabus, which goes into effect on the first class meeting, and it carries all the way through until the final grade is assigned. The third function is to provide a guiding reference or resource that students, and others for that matter, such as instructional staff or administration, can refer to for logistical information, such as the schedule for the course, uh, our office hours, as well as the rationale for the pedagogy we use and the course content we have chosen. It serves as a written guide of our classroom policies, our course assignments, the requirements, even our grading breakdown. And this is all great because students can then refer back to the syllabus throughout the course to get this logistical information. You know, they want to, maybe they need to know the course name and number, prerequisites, our name. They forget, you know, the instructor's name, our contact information. Also, they can see due dates, exam times, course policies. Everything's already in there for them. And on any given syllabus, you can find similar standard information, like boilerplate, you know, it's there. And here are some of the main categories or, or kind of general sections, which can be found or, or are given on any syllabus. First is going to be basic information. And that's like, you know, our name, our contact information, office hours, title of the course, location, maybe the times it meets. Then it's going to have, usually right below that, the course description. And this is going to tell about the course overview uh, maybe some prerequisites, what the student learning objectives are, uh, what they're basically gonna gain or take away from the course. Then it gets into materials, which is usually the primary required books, readings, any tools or lab equipment they may need, software, things along those lines. Then it may have requirements, some section could be broken out into different areas, exams, quizzes, assignments, uh, reports, you know maybe the rationale or the particulars for our homework assignments our projects quizzes due dates maybe something about participation and then usually we get into policies and this could be you know the institution's policies as well as our own as instructors you know faculty that would be grading procedures attendance class participation what happens if someone misses an exam late policies uh maybe something about academic honesty All of that would be in there, you know, and this defines the student's responsibilities for successful coursework and it helps the students assess their readiness for the course. It also helps set the tone for the course. Then usually, lastly, is some type of schedule, you know, a tentative calendar of events of topics of the exams, uh, maybe the last day when you should withdraw from the course, things along those lines. Now, usually, faculty members are provided with a course syllabus template or or a shell that includes, you know, standardized policies and institutional information. And then instructors then add their own uh, kind of course-specific information to that template uh, to create their actual class syllabus. Now, although the form content requirements may vary widely by discipline or by Department or by course or even instructor, there are basic common components that are usually included on every syllabus. So now let's talk about. I want to get into the specifics here a little bit. So number one is right up at the top is the heading and contact information. And at minimum, this would include course title and number, uh, when and where the class meets, your name, instructor's name, contact information, office hours, etc. In addition. Uh, indicates how the students should contact you, maybe whether by email, by phone, for example, as well as when and how students can expect a reply to your electronic information. You know, usually it's like within 24 hours. Uh, it should include the times, the days, the location of your office hours, and whether you're willing to meet with students outside of scheduled office hours. Like mine, I always put the actual office hours and then by appointment. Number two would be prerequisites. If there is prerequisites for the course, be sure to state what they are and what the students should already know, be able to do, so potential students can assess their readiness for your course. The third area is usually gets into the course description. This is the big chunk, you know. This describes the course. It actually needs to be the same as what was published in the course catalog for that year. So they should match up. That's what accreditors usually look for and stuff. It's one of the, one of the things. This description should be you know, consistent, what appears in the course listings, but it may be even more detailed. You know, It may provide a more of a clearer idea of the specific course topics and its significance. But it should explain or describe the basic content of the course, what makes it important or interesting, maybe even how the course fits into the context of the discipline. It may also include information of what the course is. Is it a lab? Is it a studio? Is it discussion-based? seminar? Is it maybe writing-intensive, multidisciplinary? Uh, You may also put in there some particular pedagogical strategies that are required, like maybe group work, field work, labs. You know, that could be part of that course description. Then usually we get into the number four, required textbooks and material. And here we want to include complete citations for required textbooks. And for any recommended books as well. You know, Be clear about which books are required and which are optional. Information about each text should include the title, author, edition, publisher, where it can be purchased. Um, we may even want to tell in there why these books and materials were chosen and how we expect them to be used, like you know, reference only or if they need to bring them every day to class. I like to always put the ISBN numbers there. They're great to include so that students can know purchase the correct edition because sometimes I'll bring in an earlier edition you know, a little bit cheaper in price and it may not fit with your your course so you want to make sure you tell the you know, exact edition and the ISBN numbers that are in there uh, include any additional equipment materials or supplies they will need you know maybe they need flash drives or a specific type of notebook or, uh, my cost control class I tell them they need to have a calculator they can't use their phones uh, maybe you need kitchen scales. That's what they need in a lot of our bake shop classes. You know, Maybe there's certain software or uh, simulated software they need to purchase, lab equipment, safety equipment. And maybe you give some suggestions where they might be purchased because maybe they don't want to buy them in your school's bookstore. You know, maybe there's some other places they can get those. So I like to provide a detailed list and be sure to specify whether it's required or optional but recommended. Number five is course objectives, which clarify for the student what we intend for them to learn and accomplish in our course. Telling students right up front what we, expect, what we expect them to learn, be able to do by the end of the course, helps them know how to study for our courses. Let's them know what to expect, what is required. As you know, objectives tell what students should be able to do by the end of our course. And you are most helpful when we express these objectives in terms of knowledge and skills that we can identify and assess. I talked about this in depth in our first podcast on designing a course. You know, for example, the ability to recognize, differentiate, apply, or produce is much more easily for us as assessors to identify than, say, something like, Oh, the ability to appreciate or understand. So we want these objectives to be specific, measurable, you know, observable in regarding students' behavior. And we know why we have objectives, because they provide direction to our instruction. They provide guidelines for our assessment, and they convey instructional intent to others. So an objective is a description of a performance that we want learners to be able to exhibit before we consider them competent. So it's an intended result of instruction rather than the process of instruction itself. And again, the strongest syllabi, as noted in episode one of our podcast, which was titled Designing a Course, are built on a solid foundation of course design. And in that episode, we learned that the instructor first chooses learning goals that are appropriate for the level of the class and the students in it. These are goals that can be achieved in one semester and that are rooted in the discipline. And after we select the learning goals for the class, we can then decide how to measure whether students have achieved those goals and then decide what learning experiences in and outside of the class will help the students practice what they should learn. So course objectives are another way of saying learning goals, learning objectives, and they should describe what students should know or be able to do at the end of the course that they couldn't do before. In other words, they should be about student performance. It's what the student will do, not what the teacher will do. Okay, I want to take a quick pause here at this halfway point in the show to recognize our sponsor, The Colony Hotel, with locations in Kennebunkport, Maine and Delray Beach, Florida. With their generous support, this podcast is able to be produced and shared with all of you. So please consider their gorgeous resort properties for your next vacation. To find out more information, check out their website at www.thecolonyhotel.com. That's thecolony, C O L O N Y, hotel.com. All one word. Number six is grading course grading is the one area I've found that creates the most anxiety for students. So therefore, I find it really, really important that this information be as complete as possible in the syllabus, including what percentages of the grade is assigned to each you know, assessment or each course activity. So they know the breakdown right up front. So typically include that breakdown in point values or percentages and how much each assignment or test contributes to a student's final grade. And also knowing the relative importance of these requirements and assessments and assignments at the beginning helps the students budget their time. They know what they're gonna put the most emphasis into. So we wanna explain the grading scale, indicating the weight of each component. What is the homework worth? What is papers worth? Quizzes, exams, reports, even participation. You know, what is that worth? you know, within the course grade. And note whether any graded assignments can be dropped. Some people like to drop the lowest quiz grade and how that dropped grade will affect the final grade. Indicate policies on regrades if applicable. You know, direct students to a a rubric if you use that, which you can provide on your, you know, learning website, uh, course management site, or, you know, hand out a paper copy of the rubric. And whenever possible, The criteria for evaluation should also uh, include what kind of exams will be given. Uh, Will the exams test memory, understanding, applying of knowledge? are the mechanics of writing, including in the grading for papers and essays? You know, sometimes it's a, we want it to be like an MLA or APA format. We're going to look for spelling and grammar. Other times it's more of a free writing, like a journal. So we don't want them to get stuck on those mechanics. We want them just to write and really deep, deep dive deep into you know that content. You should also put down. You know, is there a penalty for late work? You know, is it necessary for students to show their work when they solve problems? Uh, is credit given for you know, uh, a a good approach, even though they may have got the answer wrong, but they kind of had a good answer to it, you know, so all of those things are very helpful for the students. And I'm going to talk much more in detail about grading, evaluation, you know, in a future podcast, so stay tuned for that. Number seven will be your course expectations. What approaches will we be using in the class? You know, we're going to use lectures, discussions, group work, and why have we chosen these approaches? I think providing students with a clear understanding of their role in the classroom helps prevent later, you know, problems later on and misunderstandings. Put those course expectations right up front overtly. Are students expected to attend all class sessions? Will, there, um, will this be part of their grade? Are they expected to participate actively in class? If so, what do we consider active participation? You know, another expectation may be, is it important that all assignments are handed in on time? What will happen if they aren't? Is it important to keep up on the reading on a daily basis, or is it only necessary to complete the readings before the exam? Now, these expectations that you put in there are strengthened when you add in your rationale for, you know, for example, you could state something like, uh, because our class activities are dependent on the reading in the text, you are expected to read each chapter before the topic is discussed in class. So you've given that reason behind these policies. And although some expectations may seem self-evident, students are more likely to meet our expectations when they're explicitly stated. So I might put something like uh, in there, uh, since we have small group discussions in class, it is obvious that I expect everyone to participate. You know, put that right in there. Let them know that, oh, I didn't know was it, was, I was supposed to do that. We might also include some information about what they can expect from us. One instructor that I know divides this section of her syllabus into different parts. She calls one student responsibilities, another one instructor responsibility, and another one our, our collective responsibility. So you can even break it down so they know. And consider... Including a statement indicating that all interactions in class will be civil, respectful, and supportive of an inclusive learning environment for all students. There's something along those lines. So they, you know, again, put it right out there. Number eight would be a course calendar or a schedule. Um, this calendar is your plan for the course. It should include the dates for assignments and assessments and projects and exams. And to maintain some flexibility, I often uh, indicate. That it's a tentative schedule and subject to change, uh, but I also let them know and assure them that they are going to receive appropriate notifications of any changes. You know, sometimes you just classes aren't as fast as you expect, or they're faster than you expect, so you have to make adjustments. But more likely, here in you know Florida, we get a lot of hurricanes. But maybe you're up north, you may get some snow days, you know, weather-related type things, and you have to kind of readjust mid-stride. So I just put that on there so they'll know. Also, it's good to put on there the last date of withdrawal from a class in your account. Let them know that you know, after this point, you know, it can no longer drop. You know, there's an add-drop period. Or is there a time to drop without penalty? And include on the course schedule the dates that you're going to be covering specific topics. You know, the, the due dates for these major assignments, the date of the final exam. So they can put that in. They can plan, you know, their life, their social life, their travel, their other classes, their work schedules all around that. Maybe ask for days in advance. The more detailed the course schedule, the more useful it will be for your students. Oh, and last thing, when preparing the schedule, I always consult the, you know, the academic calendar for the school. And I like to keep in mind, you know, religious holidays. Um, that may not be recognized by the school as an official day off, but you know that students are not going to be there on that day. So obviously, I would put a major test that day. Well, think about significant campus events, like when is homecoming, when is family weekend? You no, know, they're probably going to be busy in those times. And if it works with my calendar, I try not to, again, put any major assignments due or finals, midterms, things like that during these you know academic calendar events. So, again, build in some cushion in the event the class is canceled due to weather. Number nine, additional course policies. Then there are other areas, sections, or categories that may or may not be included in your syllabus. And sometimes these are labeled miscellaneous or student resources or sort of some other name to them. But I'm going to highlight a couple of the ones that I use, or that are the more common ones. You may want to have a statement of accommodation. you know many schools have standard language to describe accommodations for physical, medical or learning disabilities, and recommend that there's some type of official statement that's included in your syllabus telling them you know where they have to go you know as soon as there's a certain department and you know s- s- uh, make that claim and see if they can get a reasonable accommodation. Some of the other things you may want to consider would be reasonable accommodations for religious beliefs, observations. Uh, conflicts due to participation in athletics. You no, know, I'll school a lot of times. I'll get emails from the coaches asking them to be an excused absence because they're going on an away game. Um, some students have interviews. You know, we have a lot of interviews on campus, so they're signed up for those interviews. They can't be at class, so you know, I try to accommodate that and give them some kind of makeup or, you know, when it's an official interview, school sponsor. might want to have an evaluation of the course, an assessment of student learning. It's going to be valuable to inform the students about how you will be gathering feedback during the semester, usually towards the end of the class, um, you know, the end of semester evaluation. In my classes, I also do a midterm or a mid-year evaluation that I do on my own, not official. So I put that in there that I'll be gathering feedback uh, multiple times throughout the semester uh, on my teaching, on how the class is going, on their perceptions of it. Might want to provide details on student instructor rights to academic freedom. You know, put some rights, responsibilities in there. You know, I always tell the students they're a member of a learning community, you know, so that's their responsibilities and treat each other with civil uh, civility and you know, respect. You may want to put on there something to do with safety and emergency, you know, preparedness. You know, what should they do in case of a fire, accident, or injury? Active shooters, you know, we're constantly having those drills these days. You know, what other emergencies that you might put in there. You know, what are the procedures for inclement weather, for evacuations, for, you know, lab safety precautions. And lastly, I usually put in some kind of disclaimer. You know, some institutions re- recommend a disclaimer about possible changes to the class, you know, be included on the syllabus, such as an uh, official statement might be, the professor reserves the right to modify supplement and make changes as the course needs arise. But mine, I usually just write, the instructor reserves the right to make modifications to this information throughout the semester. Some kind of disclaimer at the end, I put that in. Usually, I put it right after my calendar. Now, some of the elements that are found on, on a syllabus today are considered legalese by many who say they contribute to what they call syllabus bloat. Others, who are proponents of the comprehensive syllabus, argue that greater and more detailed resources being available to students saves the instructor time when questions arise they recommend that faculty include everything on their syllabus and all the policies you know as appropriate so students are aware of all the resources that are available to them available to them therefore some other areas that you may want to include on your syllabus if you're of this camp is you know a statement regarding where students might obtain help if they are struggling with the course requirements you know maybe information about if you have a writing resource center, a university learning center, or some special tutoring that's provided by some department. You'll include that in there. You may also want to have a section on expected student conduct. Sometimes you call this class atmosphere. This is especially appropriate in classes where controversial issues are going to be discussed. Now, the statement might include ground rules concerning how students are expected to treat each other, or rules for class discussion or general classroom etiquette. You know, maybe you want to put something in there about mobile phone use, you know, or lateness, or something along those lines. Now, you can also have a statement regarding academic misconduct. You know, check with your institution for your school's policy statement on academic misconduct and then add that in there. You know, in classes where students will be writing papers, you know, it's advisable to include a definition maybe of plagiarism in that section. Explain to them what it is. You know, keep in mind that incidents of academic integrity are on the rise. You know, it's all over the research. And instructors need to take a proactive approach in preventing responding to these incidents. You know, maybe you use turnitin.com or some other type of, you know, plagiarism detection software. Put that in there. Another area that some place some people like to put in there if it's applicable is technology policies. You know, what might you include in a policy in class use of laptops? You know, do you gonna allow that or not? Is it required or is it beneficial? Is it, you know, not allowed at all? You know, what again mentioned mobile devices. You know, maybe you use an online discussion board. You might also consider something about digital etiquette, you know, indicating guidelines for how to conduct a Respectful online discussion. Now, with all that said, a syllabus is the first introduction students receive about you as an instructor and to the course content. So, one could say it affects how they think about you and the course. Therefore, you're going to want to include maybe within your course policies something about your values. You know what values shape your teaching in the course. What policies will guide you? So policies, uh, values that you might want to communicate through your syllabus include inclusiveness. You know, how can your syllabus help you create an inclusive atmosphere that welcomes all students? Some instructors include statements, inviting participation from all students, honoring student diversity and differing points of view. You might want to have something about integrity on it. We already spoke a little bit about that, but what are your policies and procedures regarding um, misconduct in relation to materials and assignments for the course and regarding integrity. You know, consider the type of work you're asking students to do. What do you want to communicate about working with data, uh, representing original sources, accountability for con- contributions to group projects? You know, maybe you're going to have a group charter. Again, talk about responsibility. What do students need to know about your expectations regarding assignments and attendance and online participation and classroom interaction? And lastly, you might want to put in something about your teaching philosophy. You know, what is your pedagogical approach? What's your rationale of why students will, you know, benefit from following your approach? Describe your beliefs about educational purposes. And lastly, lastly, here's a couple of additional things you you might want to consider. First, reviewing the syllabus. You know, when you prepare the syllabus, pay attention to how it's organized layout, and make sure that it's easy to read. Because it is such an important document, I always like to ask a colleague or a friend or someone else to read the syllabus and ask them the following questions as they read it. Has any essential information been omitted? Uh, What questions do they have after reading the syllabus? After they read it, I ask them, well, what did you like about the class? Uh, What do you think the class will be like? Um, Does it tell you my role in the class? And what other information do you see that may be missing that I should give to students to help them succeed in the class? I get their opinion on that. And once that syllabus is all complete and it's been reviewed and I like it, I always put a date on it before I distribute it to students. This way, I don't get it confused with earlier versions because I'm constantly updating it. And on the first day of class, have plenty of copies available, especially if your course is you know, popular or it's an ad drop and you have, you know, students coming in comparison shopping. You want to find out what's this class going to be like. Is it going to be hard before they decide to fully commit to it? And I like to go over the syllabus very carefully. Reduce the risk of future surprises. I want them to know this is what it is. Depending on the size of the class, you know, I might consider requiring the students to submit questions based on it. Um, I have even made a quiz about the syllabus in the past to give the students an easy grade right off the bat. should be an A, but it gets them to read it. And the questions are based around specific important things that I want to highlight in the syllabus. So it does, you know, it's twofold. It gets them to read it and really key in on the areas that I want. And two, it gives them an easy grade to start the term on a positive note. And also, I always put the syllabus online. So consider that as well as a paper copy you know, maybe part of your learning management system or a website so they can easily go and see it. And I can change it throughout the semester. You know, I can update it and send out an announcement that, you know, I've modified it so that they know there's a change in there. I usually also, if I do make any changes, I always highlight it. So I let them know and I put revised on it multiple times, you know, big letters and stuff so that they know. Well, that is all the time we have for this episode of The Chef Educator. Until we meet again, keep learning, keep teaching, and keep cooking. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye.